awakens, awakens, awakens me. Your love is greater. Your love is stronger. Your love awakens, awakens, awakens me. Your love is greater.
Sits on heaven's mercy. Seat. 
Check. So one of the things that I love about staying up front is not to just be up front to be up front, but because I get to hear your lovely voices. And so I, I'm so thankful for you guys. And we just want to say we're glad you're here. If you're brand new with us, we are just so glad you're here. And we want to say thank you for showing up and for being here. And you are not in your spot for a random reason. And so if you're brand new with us, if you would do something for us, is as you leave, go talk to the people at the Next Steps area. It's that big blue sign, and just go talk to them. And they would love to hear your story. They would love to hear, you know, what brought you here. And they have some free for you, which is always good, right? And so I'm really thankful for you guys. And if you pass the friendship folders, there are those things in the inside of the chair in front of you, and just write your name. And if you're brand new, you're like, what is this? Um, it's just letting us know you're here, and just know that you being here is not just another face but you're a name that has a story, and we pray over those during the week. And so we're thankful for you and that for sure. And so if you're brand new, make sure you stop by the Next Steps area. We have something for you. We'd love to get to know you. Another thing I want to highlight is coming up on April 22nd, we have our Next Steps class. And what Next Steps is all about is taking that next step and saying, hey, you know what? I, I want to serve, or I want to know more about the church, or, you know, Membership has always been the answer to joining the church, and so we're not replacing that with something different. We're just changing the name, and we're taking membership and focusing more on ownerships and saying, hey, like, I'm a part of this church, and I want to get involved. I want to know what we believe. I want to know what our values are. What's Luke's job? I mean, just to get to know, like, what happens here. I know some of you are like, what is this job? Hey, call me during the week. I'd love to talk to you about it. But just know that we're thankful and we're really excited about what God's doing here in this church. Sometimes I'll be in here and I'll like watch that door and it doesn't shut. And I just praise the Lord for every time that I don't see it shut because God is using our church and it's humbling. Whether it's downstairs, whether it's in the tech booth or it's up here on stage or it's behind the scenes writing cards to people just to say, hey, you're being thought of and prayed for. Somebody can do something. It was so Awesome to see Marianne Mickick back here this morning. And she, so she's left, but can we just thank God for her? Yep. And it, yeah, when you're gone for a while and you're back, it's just, it's just like you feel like a piece of you is gone. And so it's just good to have her back, her and her husband back this morning. Um, I want to mention something. So we talked a little bit about serving and joining the church. And some of you are going, hey, I've been here for maybe a month or I've been here for a year. Or maybe you've been here for five years or longer. My encouragement to you is what's your next step? How can you get involved? How can you do something? And so many of you are already serving, and I'm so thankful for you. We're so thankful and so humbled that you would join this church and serve here, whether it's on stage or it's behind the scenes in a classroom, writing thank you cards and just writing encouragement cards. Whatever you're doing, you are the church, and you make the church. And so we're just so thankful for that. And if you have a thought, and you're like, man, I'd like to know more about serving here, just write your first and last name on these connection cards, and then on the back of it, just check at the bottom, I would like to serve at Crossroads. Tell me how. And we'll follow up with you this week. And uh, so you can drop that in the offering box as you leave, or hand it to the people over at the Next Steps area, and they'll be able to take that for you, and we'll follow up with you this week. So we're really excited about that. And I know sometimes it's like, man, I have a prayer request, or I know someone who's hurting. I just talked to somebody first hour. Write it on the back here, too. It says prayer request. And put it in the offering box, or hand it to the people at the Next Steps area, and we pray for those. I'm thinking about someone wrestling right now, praying for her spouse's 
salvation, people wrestling with grief. Um, we have a family in Children's Hospital. Uh, their, brand new, their brand new baby ha- is having some issues, and we're praying for them. And so just know we pray for those. We take that very seriously here. So if that's for you, we just love to connect with you in that way. As the ushers come forward for our morning offering, I just want to just focus on what our mission is here at Crossroads. Our mission here is to bring people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. No matter how we look at our lives, no matter what angle, no matter on our best or in our mess, at the end of the day, we need a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that's what we talk about. That's what we preach. That's what we get excited about. And those are the stories that we look for. And so that might be you this morning. And so we're excited about Eric McElvenny being here. I can't claim blood relationship, but he is my cousin-in-law. And so it's exciting that we have him here this morning to share his story of how his life has collided with Jesus. And we're going to hear from him in a minute. Would you join me in prayer? God, we love you, and we are just so thankful and humble to just be in your presence. God, to know that the deepest part of us, God, you just know. You know when we get up, you know when we go down. And God, I, I just think of just all the different moving pieces of this church. God, to know so much ministry is happening. People are being reached, and people are being loved on in our communities that we're not even aware of. Things are happening now, and it's humbling to know that you would use us, a bunch of broken pieces, to use us for your mission. And so God, we give now a bunch of wonderful people. God, we give now to your mission to see Jesus' name proclaimed in our town, in our city, and in our country. God, we want to see more people's lives changed by Jesus. And that's why we give, and we give now out of that heart. We love you, Jesus. Thank you that it is you who first loved us. Amen. Well, aren't you glad to be here this morning? Let's give our God a hand, huh? What a great God we serve. Today, I want to, uh, I, we're going to continue our series. It's called Collide. And uh, as, as we continue on this series, uh, we started last week talking about how life that collided with Jesus. You know, when Jesus' story and your story intersect, there's a collision. And uh, you're not expecting God to do something, and, and, uh, and all of a sudden, he's there. So today I've asked one of, our, one of the men of our church, Eric McIlvaney. Uh, Eric McIlvaney has been attending here since August, and his, him and his family joined the church recently. They're faithful members, part of our church. And uh, I went to lunch with him, and he told me a story, and I'm like, all right, that, that, the whole church has to hear this. And, uh, and some of you may be familiar with this story. So today uh, I want you to welcome Eric McIlvaney. Uh, as he comes and shares his story, there's a little video that'll show you a little bit about his story, and then uh, then he's going to take it from there. Let's welcome Eric McIlvaney today. Eric McIlvaney can do anything he sets his mind to. (laughs) 
All right. Good morning. Good morning. How are we doing today? All right. It's awesome to be here. It's, it's an honor to be here, to uh, be up here on stage and to have the opportunity to share a little bit of my life with you and, and our life because uh, my family, like Pastor Kenny said, we moved uh, back here from San Diego about nine months ago and you guys made us feel really, really at home here and that's awesome. So to be able to now share some of my life with you and where the uh, collision was between myself and, and Jesus is, is really special. It's an amazing, amazing opportunity. I love having some of my family here, my mom and my sister. And, and I know that we have um, some of the Mops team here that you guys listened to me a little bit earlier. And uh, uh, baptism with Teresa coming up. So that's, that's really cool. I'm excited for that. Okay, I want to get into into my story. Who here though has who here has been to Hawaii? All right. Okay, pretty good place. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's a lot like Western Pennsylvania. <laughs> Minus I mean, we don't have a Pacific Ocean here <laughs> or palm trees. Okay, so it's not like Western Pennsylvania, but I was in Hawaii a couple years ago. I was 133 miles into a race. And in this race, it was an Ironman triathlon. If you're not familiar with what an Iron an Iron Man is, it's uh, it's a long day. All right, it's a long day. You swim 2.4 miles, and then you ride your bike 112 miles, and then you run a marathon 26.2 miles. That was 140.6 total, and I'm stepping in the story at about 133. So I already did the swim 2.4 miles. And in my head, as I'm swimming, I'm thinking I'm like Michael Phelps ripping through the Pacific Ocean, right? That wasn't the case. I saw a video, like a giraffe in a bathtub. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> Done with the swim. Bike ride, I get 112 miles. That's, it's a long time to be on a bike, five and a half hours. It was hard. It was windy. Forgot to put on sunscreen. I think I'm still paying for it. Uh, that's, I learned my lesson that day. It was a hard bike ride, but it's done. It's done. And now I'm 19 miles into the marathon, into the run. Has anyone here run a marathon before? Couple? All right. Who here is training for the, the Pittsburgh Marathon or half coming up? There it is. All right. One. <laughs> I know we got, we got some more. That's coming up pretty soon. All right. So I was 19 miles into this marathon. A marathon is 26.2 miles. So what, seven miles and some change left. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. But I couldn't see that light because I was in pain. I was hurting. My hips were just hurting, my legs hurt. I had that cramp, you know that cramp that you get when you're running? I had that everywhere. <laughs> my legs were cramping. My biceps were cramping. I'm running like, what are you guys doing? I don't understand. I think my teeth were cramping. I don't know. I'm just in physical pain. My feet were on fire. I hurt. When my left foot was on fire, it hurt. My right foot felt like nothing because that's what an amputation feels like. It's not really there. I did not have to worry about blisters on that, that foot, which is a good thing. That's a win. But I... So I have a prosthetic leg. I'm a below-knee amputee. So I come down about here, and my prosthetic fits. And uh, my, my limb, my nub, sometimes I call him Jeff, <laughs> he's, he's there. I, I knew that, that Jeff was hurting a little bit. I didn't know if he was blistering, so I didn't have a foot to blister, but I was in pain there. And I have a couple different prosthetic legs. I have this here run leg right here. This is really cool. I have this leg, this walking leg. It's a very technical term for this prosthetic, it's a walking leg, all right? <laughs> and then I, I have a biking leg, and, and I have a couple different legs, and I had this running leg on, and I had it on for the first 19 miles of this run, and I hadn't taken it off, so I didn't know what kind of damage was being done. 
Uh, so I'm in physical pain, and not only that, when you run in a race that takes an entire day, you have to do a good job of fueling your body, taking in the right kind of calories, enough calories, enough water, enough fluid, and uh, the right amount of sodium. Like, yeah, it's a very, very planned out, detailed plan that I had, and I had a good plan going in. But when things start to get a little bit hard, sometimes you deviate from that plan. So I must have deviate, deviated at some point because I, at 19 miles... My, I ran out of energy. Absolutely just ran out of energy. My jog slowed to a walk. And it wasn't like a healthy looking walk. It was, it was bad. And finally, my body kind of just quit. And I sat down. I sat down on the side of the road. I'm at the Ironman World Championships in Kona, Hawaii, with only seven miles left. And there I am, sitting on the side of the road. I did what any good triathlete would do. I took my leg off, <laughs> which felt really good, and set it right next to me. If, if it was such a relief. Imagine walking around in high heels an entire day, and then you get, you get back home, you kick off your heels, that relief that you have. I've never done that, I swear. I just, I, I swear, I just that's what I picture like, it feeling like. <laughs> so I have this, like, this great relief. I'm, that thing's sitting next to me. And then I eat a peanut butter and jelly Uncrustable sandwich, which is delicious. When I was little, my mom had to cut the crust off. <laughs> Sometimes my oldest sister would cut the crust off for me. Now they, they sell them that way. <laughs> Man, these kids these days are spoiled, right? <laughs> so I'm munching on this peanut butter and jelly and crustable sandwich. Not because I was hungry, because my stomach was messed up. I just, I went out there planning to finish this race. And although my body was quitting, I was still going through the motions as if I'm going to finish this race. So I'm munching on this sandwich and I was like, man, I'm really glad I went with the strawberry jam. That's so much better than grape. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, I'm really comfortable right now. If I don't get up and finish this race right now, I'm not going to finish this race. And I didn't go all the way to Hawaii to, to finish 133 miles of a 140.6 mile race. So I grab my leg and like, I'm, I'm finishing this race and I go to put it on. And it doesn't fit. And a little, a little bit confused, I pick it up and look at it like maybe I grab someone else's leg, right? Like, <laughs> no, this is definitely my leg. Got, this, got my Steeler colors and everything. <laughs> this is my leg. And I look down at my limb and it was swollen. I guess fluid went to it. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I don't know why it swelled up. I just knew that it was bigger than it used to be. I'm like, oh my goodness. And I was in a pretty bad place, in pain, can't get my leg on, uh, out of energy, sitting there with seven miles left. And uh, I was sitting there, and I, and I realized, honestly, like, that's kind of where I wanted to be. I don't want to finish a race and, and say, oh, that was easy. You know, that, was, that was where I wanted to be. I, I like that struggle. I like that challenge. And I remember just sitting there and, and uh, leading up to that, the journey that led up to that, man, God was all through it, all through it. And that's really what I want to share about, how God was there for, to give me opportunity after opportunity and to give me strength when I needed it to get me there. And then what happened after that and through that and how, how God worked through that. And that was my first attempt at running an Ironman. I do want to get back to that story, but first I, I have to give you a better idea of, of who I am and where I come from and where that collision was, right? So I grew up in, in Bell Vernon. I got a picture of my family up right here. Uh, I'm, I'm the really good-looking one in the front row with the red sweater. I still, I still have that sweater. I'm just kidding. My wife goodwilled it last, last year, <laughs> so I can't wear it. Um, my... Uh, who here is familiar with Bell Vernon? 
Rostraver. Okay, a lot of people. That's that's what I'm, I'm a leopard. <laughs> right? Um, two older sisters. Uh, they, you know, I I realized that I was blessed, and I'm grateful that I just have an amazing family. I was born into an amazing family. Two older sisters that, uh, one, they made me a little bit tougher because they used to beat on me a little bit when I was little. I could take them now. Okay, not at the same time. They're still a little bit tough. Uh, but they also babied me, <laughs> and that's okay. I was the baby of the family. Uh, and my parents just set the example as parents. As parents and in their marriage, a very selfless marriage, and uh, they just valued this love and support, and uh, that was special. They took us to church. My mom dragged me to church every week, and uh, I'm not going to lie to you, I, I didn't love it. In fact, I didn't even like it. It's like, oh, got to go to church again. Uh, and But what that did is I learned about who Jesus is. And I, and I think that's cool. Uh, I learned religion. I tried to be a good person. So I was, I was going to church because I had to. Uh, I knew who Jesus was, but, but I didn't know him. I, at that point throughout my childhood, I, I didn't really begin a relationship with Jesus. But I, I'm okay with that because just my mom dragging me to church like that, that planted so many seeds in my life that they're going to come back into my story a little, a little bit later. And I'll let you know when, but it's just it's such a cool, such a cool childhood. I I was fortunate that, uh, or I don't know, fortunate, but I think God, you know, God gives us all, makes us all unique, and I think God kind of gave me this passion for competition, for sports, this talent in athletics. I can go out and, and find a sport and, and figure it out and do pretty well in it. Uh, I think the next picture. Oh, this is a little bit blurry, but this is me in the sixth grade playing football. It's supposed to be an intimidating picture. If you can't see that, just uh, look at me then. <laughs> uh, I don't know why we took it. There's some pink flowers in the background. You're not supposed to take football pictures in front of pink flowers. But I love sports a lot. I think my dad was proud because I love sports. But my mom, she didn't love sports as much. She cared about school, and I had to do well in school in order to play sports. So I took school seriously. And it was an assignment that I had in the eighth grade that had a big impact on me. I had to do a career research report. What do you want to be when you grow up? I had no idea what I wanted to be. I went home and asked my parents, my dad. He said, you should check out the military, the Marines. They're the first to fight. That sounded cool. But honestly, like where I was sold is in the mid-90s, the Marines, out of all the branches, all the, the military branches, the Marines by far had the best commercials. <laughs> and that is criteria for choosing a career, right? So I was like, I'm going to be a Marine, or I'm going, to, I'm going to do this report on the Marine Corps. And I did that report, and I was just so impressed with what the Marines represent, just the rich history, the stories of valor, the stories of heroes. And I, I realized that there's always going to be someone sacrificing the way they live their life to provide freedom for our nation, and I knew I wanted to be a part of that. Do we have any military veterans here with us? I know we've got to have a couple. All right. Good stuff. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Cool. So the path that I took to get in the Marine Corps, I went to the United States Naval Academy. Again, that was through mentorship and guidance from my dad and my grandfather. I ended up going to Navy. I played rugby for three years. If you have no idea, if you've ever watched rugby and you're like, I have no idea what the rules are, I played for three years and I have no idea what the rules are. <laughs> it was fun, though. It was a lot of fun. You run around and hit people. Uh, I studied mechanical engineering. Glad I did because the most important thing that happened to me at the Naval Academy is I met my wife. My wife, Rachel, many of you guys know. She's the one on the left. <laughs> she was also studying mechanical engineering, and she's a little bit smarter than me. <laughs> Always was. And I used to go to her for help in my coursework, not because I cared about my grades anymore. I just thought she was really cute. Uh, <laughs> strategy paid off. Uh, here's the thing. When I, when I went to college, 
I was, uh, what happened is, you know, I, when I was young, I went, to, I went to church out of tradition, out of someone else's priority, because I had to. When I went off to college, it wasn't, because it wasn't my priority, because I didn't have that relationship with Jesus that wasn't my priority, that was the first thing that fell off. Life was busy. I had a lot going on. I didn't have time for that. So I, I stopped. I stopped going, and at that, this point in time in my life, I was the furthest from the Lord that I had ever been. Uh, with that, met my wife. So I'm, I'm, you know, God was obviously there and blessed. And I don't know if he like, <laughs> don't look at him, but <laughs> somehow I ended up with, with her. And uh, we started dating and we fell in love. And we had our first daughter. We graduated the Naval Academy and we got married. Uh, you can put that in what order you want. It wasn't, we didn't do it the, the way God wanted us to do it, but that's what happened. So... We graduated the Naval Academy. We were both commissioned officers. I was an officer in the United States Marine Corps, became an infantry officer. My wife was an officer in the United States Navy. She drives battleships around. She's cooler than me. So, um, she, we, we moved out to the West Coast, and uh, that's when we, we started our lives in the military. And honestly, it, just, it felt like the cards were stacked against us a little. We newlywed, new parents, both of us starting new jobs, and they were high-stress jobs. Uh, moved out to the West Coast, away from family, and then to top it off, we started deploying immediately. One of us was always gone on a deployment. We did five deployments, and because of that, we, we suffered. Uh, and I, it, throughout my life, I always felt like I got it. I can fix things. I can make things happen. I, I can control my own destiny type thing, and it was it was driving me crazy because my marriage was struggling and I was doing everything that I could to try to try to work through and to fix it and to do counseling and this and it was getting worse and worse and truth is right before my wife's second deployment I felt like I had hit rock bottom my marriage was just about done and (laughs) where was I <laughs> this is hard because this is this is absolutely honestly it, it felt like rock bottom. My marriage was just about done. My wife was was getting ready to deploy. I'm supposed to be this warrior, this this marine leader, and I can't even keep my family together. Like it was, it was a bad thing, and that's that's where I was. And then the next thing that happened to me was really amazing. My wife deployed uh, because I grew up going to church. If you remember back in my childhood, I thought that's the right thing to do for a kid. My daughter, Lupe, was now four years old, and I wanted her to grow up going to church. So those seeds that were planted a long time ago, that tradition, now that came back, and that tradition kind of led me looking into a couple churches. And the next thing I know, I was invited to church by someone that I knew. It was my, my wife's sister, moved out to San Diego, started going to church, and invited me there. And it's interesting, when you're invited to go to church, you go. So I went. I went with my daughter to this church. The children's program was awesome. It was a, to me, it was a lot, like, a lot like this church with a great, a great children's program. And I remember going, and you, you can't just go to church and check your child in and then go home and watch football. I tried that. They said, no, you can't do that, man. <laughs> and so if you think about it, football on the West Coast, three-hour difference, it starts at 10 o'clock. So you're like eating your Cheerios and watching the first quarter. It's, it's kind of cool. But I started going to church. I checked my daughter in, and I go and, and sit in the sermon. And the, the first few services, man, God, he, he started to work on my heart. 
He started to transform me, and, and week after week it kept going, and all of a sudden, I found myself making this commitment to Jesus. I made a commitment to Jesus, and that, that was cool. Thank you. And after that, honestly, I realized what a relationship was, and I realized in my marriage, I was doing a lot of, like, what's in it for me type thing. I realized that's not what a relationship is, and, and I, I kind of gave, gave that. I gave that to God, and, and next thing I, I know is my marriage, our communication is getting way better, and we recommitted to each other. So we have th- this amazing thing going on. This is, this is the big collision. That is the big collision. The next thing that happens, my wife comes home from her deployment. I left. It overlapped a little bit. I had left before she was able to come home, and I went to Afghanistan. Now, my job in Afghanistan, it was, it was different than anything I had done before. I was uh, an advisor to the Afghan military. I led a small team. We were embedded into the Afghan military, and our job was to advise and train them during combat operations. And it was a great experience. Did some really cool stuff. Uh, it was neat watching the kids go to school, these Afghan kids, because it was prior to us being there, they didn't have this opportunity. We, op- we were operating for a couple, couple months, and on December 9th in 2011, it was a day that my life changed. It started like a normal day, woke up, did some final preparation to go on a patrol at about 4.30, stepped out on this patrol. We were out there patrolling for about five hours, and every time I tell this story, that patrol gets a little bit longer. <laughs> it, makes me, it makes me look a little bit tougher. It's my story. I can do that, right? I'm just kidding. Nah, but we're finishing up the six-hour patrol, heading back to the patrol base. <laughs> And as, as we're walking back, we're getting close. Uh, you can see it's about 1,000 meters away of open land, and, and that's when it happened. I stepped on an IED. I triggered an explosion underneath my right foot. And I remember this very vividly, this experience. A, the, just a violent force picked my body up and threw me to the ground. My ears were ringing, a very, very high-pitched ringing sound. I didn't hear the explosion. I heard a pop, like you're opening a can of Pepsi. I just heard that pop, and then my ears were ringing. I felt this wetness on my left leg up pretty high, not with my hands because I had gloves on. I just felt that sensation. I didn't feel pain, and slowly things started coming back to me. I realized, like, okay, I'm in Afghanistan. My ears are ringing. I'm staring into a sky that one second earlier was a beautiful blue sky without a cloud in it, and now it was full of smoke and dust, and that's when I was like, wow, I can't believe this. I just stepped on an IED. And we had been operating for a couple months. I saw plenty of them. I saw plenty of them. I saw what they did. And because I wasn't feeling pain and I knew I stepped on one, I thought for a brief few seconds that I might be dying. And I remember the two thoughts that went through my head. That first thought, I thought I was going to get to go to heaven. And it wasn't necessarily a scary thought. It was just like, I'm not in control. That's, that's what's next. And then I thought about my wife and my daughter. And that's when I started to get scared. And next thing I know, my corpsman, our medic, he comes running up to me and starts saving me. The Marines around me, they do everything they can do to, to get me out of there. That's the mission. The helicopter lands 17 minutes after the explosion, which is really fast. I was into surgery within 40 minutes of the explosion, which is really fast. I'm, I'm grateful for the guys on the deck for what they did. Another Marine saving me stepped on an IED. He lost his left leg below the knee. Another Marine who was close to both explosions ended up with a traumatic brain injury. So these guys sacrificed to save me. It was, it was crazy. But I went into surgery. When I woke up after surgery, I, I looked down and I'm missing my leg. I'm missing my right leg. It's a weird thing to, to see for the first time. I had bandages on my left leg, on my arm. I'm in bad shape, but, but I was alive. And now, now really, the, the journey was about to start. Uh, the timing of it to me is really cool. The timing is cool because it was just a couple months earlier, six, seven months is when I 
when I made that commitment to Jesus. And although I was still a rookie, <laughs> although I was still a rookie, I had that. I had that somewhere to pull strength from, a foundation. I, because I'm a Christian doesn't mean that bad things aren't going to happen. It means that when they do, God's going to be there to give strength through there. And, and he, he can make bad things into good. That's, that's what he does. A couple things that stick out from that day. The first one is this feeling of control, something that I think I've always struggled with. I've had to control everything. There's nothing in the world I can't do type thing because of my own ability, right? That was in my head. Um, it wasn't the case, and I learned that. I already learned that with my marriage because it was struggling because I was trying to do everything. When I gave it to God, you know, I relinquished a little bit of control. He, he fixed it. And that was, I think, emotionally, that helped. But still, still, like I, I wasn't done. As a Marine, as a Marine, I felt the need to control everything. That morning, you know, I, I, I made the plans, the detailed plans for that patrol, the exact route we were going to go. If something happens, an alternate route, I knew where we can possibly get ambushed from. I knew where, where we can bring in helicopters if we need to. It just, I had the plan, and I needed the plan, and I always needed to be in that control. And when I stepped on that IED, I felt that control just get ripped away. And I was like, wow, it was honestly a physical representation of like, Eric, you're not in control. <laughs> God is in control. It was very eye-opening for me. And there's a verse that I like uh, in Psalm 46.10 where God says, be still and know that I am God. And he just says, hey, whatever is going on in your life, you know, you're going 80 miles a minute and you're all the way up here, you have stress, you have anxiety, like just chill out, be calm and know that I'm God. And when I know that, I know what God can do. God can pull good from, from anything. So it's like, okay, I, I, use, I use that a lot. The next thing that really stuck out to me, and it, only, it happened a couple, couple months later when I was explaining to someone my story, and they said, hey, when you thought you were dying, how did you know that you were going to go to heaven? Because that's some like, good, you know, that's, some, that's a good secret right there. And I was like, oh, I haven't really thought about it. Well, I, I knew I was going to go to heaven. I knew it. And it definitely wasn't because of anything that I did. Like, I didn't deserve to go to heaven. Like, you look at my past, it's not, extremely, it's not extremely clean. It was nothing that I did. It's what Jesus did. And Jesus died on the cross as a sacrifice for my sins. And I knew that, and I believed it, and I accepted that, and I asked Jesus to be my Savior. So I know, 100% sure, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. So it was cool. It was cool to recognize that. It's like when I was thinking I was dying, that's where I thought that I, that I was going because that's, that's it. And I think that's cool for me to know. And I, I'm, I'm glad that my family knows that, that if something happens to me and I die, they know that that's where I'm going to go. I'm going to go to heaven. Uh, another, so that, that, that's kind of the, the bad story. And I want to talk now a little bit more about, about the good news, the good news. And there, there's a verse, Romans 8, 28. Uh, In all things, God works for the good for those who love him. God didn't put that IED in the ground. Like he doesn't, he doesn't do bad, but he he can use what happened for good. He can use what happened to glorify him, and that's what happens to the next part of the story. And the first, the first big thing, it's it's funny. He just put people in my life that I needed at that exact time. And the first person is re- very recent after the injury is my daughter, my daughter Lupe, who she's in the audience right here. That's kind of cool. I like that. But she was five years old when I was injured. The morning that I was injured, my wife got a phone call uh, the night before, different times, Afghanistan and, and here. Uh, my wife got a phone call. She missed the phone call because she misses a lot of phone calls, but that's all right. She called them back, listened to the voicemail, and uh, she called them back, and it was headquarters of Marine Corps. They said, your husband's been injured. He lost one of his legs. He's in critical condition. He's going to be coming home 
in a couple of days and we'll get you more information. And she got some more information and that morning she wakes up and before Lupe, my daughter, goes off to kindergarten, my wife tells her. And she sits her down and says, Lupe, daddy got hurt at work. Daddy lost one of his legs. Daddy's going to be coming home. We need to be there to support him. And Lupe, she quickly asked a question. She said, well, when is daddy coming home? And, and Rachel said, oh, he's going to be home in about five days. And Lupe took about ten seconds to process all this information. And then she smiled. And she said, daddy's going to be home for Christmas. And I thought that was so cool because it was such a negative event for me and my wife and my parents and my family and friends. My little five-year-old daughter just so purely pulled something positive from that situation. And I realized that is the type of person that I want to be around. That's the type of person that I want to be. What is it? Like, how can she do that? And what I realized, she's just being grateful for what she has. That's just being grateful for what she has. And like, I can, I can do that. I am grateful that I'm still alive. I'm grateful that I have this, this whole left leg. Like, this thing is great. I love it. <laughs> I'm grateful that I have half of a right leg. I have my own knee. This me doing that. Isn't that neat? I'm grateful that I had the, the opportunity and the privilege of serving our country as a Marine, something that I wanted to do. I'm grateful for my family, for you guys being here today. I'm grateful for this church. I'm grateful for the opportunity to share with you guys. This is, this is really cool. So when you start doing that, it shines and it shows. And then I think you, you glorify God through that because he has given us counting, countless blessings. And if we focus on those blessings instead of the bad, there's something, there's something strong to that. I have always been a goal-oriented person. And the, this next person that I want to talk about, just he was, he, he moved me. He was uh, my commanding officer in Afghanistan. He was still at war in Afghanistan, and he sent me an email. This is just two weeks after my injury. I'm still in the hospital bed. I open the email on my iPad, and I read it. And it says, hey, Eric, let me know when you're going to run your first marathon. And I remember reading that, thinking what a jerk, you know? <laughs> Why would you say that? But he was a leader. He cared about me enough to challenge me because he knew when you're challenged, when you have some struggle, that's when you get better, that's when you grow. And, and he threw that out there and I thought that was a, okay, all right. Because you challenged me at running a marathon, I'm going to one-up it, right? I'm, that's when I set a goal to run an Ironman triathlon. And the story just, just keeps going. Two months after my injury, I get to put on my first prosthetic leg. And a prosthetic leg, what happens is you go in, you get your leg, a cast of your leg, they make a prosthetic, you try it on, and what doesn't happen is they don't give you the leg and say, hey, have a good life, we'll see you later. You, you remain in a relationship with, with that prosthetic practitioner kind of for the rest of your life because I'm constantly getting changes here and there. And my prosthetic practitioner, his name was Peter Harsh. And Peter, he still lives, at, still lives out in San Diego. I still see him for my leg work. Uh, I found out when I met him that he had run 14 Ironmans at that point. You know, I set a goal to run an Ironman, but I had never met anyone crazy enough to run an Ironman. And now I, the guy that's making one of my body parts had run 14 of them, and he had qualified for the Ironman World Championship five different times. And it was like, wow, that's no coincidence. Like, man, that's God. That's God kind of put him into my life. And he quickly became a mentor, and he it, it introduced me to some people in an organization that helps people with disabilities get back into the sports. And the next thing I know, I find myself on the start line of a sprint triathlon, which is a small fraction of what an Ironman is, but it was eight months after my injury. It's like, wow, 
this is this is really cool and I did that race uh, and in that first year I had a couple opportunities to to run I ran three triathlons and a marathon and I, I didn't run that Ironman yet but I was working my way there and next thing that happens is there's an organization called Refuel Got Chocolate Milk question mark <laughs> and they gave me a call and what, what they are is they were campaigning doing a, a marketing campaign selling chocolate milk as a recovery drink for for people from after you work out because chocolate milk has all of the necessary nutrients and minerals that your body needs after a hard workout to recover and get ready for the next workout Sorry, I was under contract to say that for a year. <laughs> but they asked, I said, hey, we're putting together this team to go compete at the Ironman World Championships. We see what you've been doing. Do you want to be a part of it? And I was like, yeah, of course I do. So now I get to go compete in my Ironman at the World Championships, and then I get to do it alongside Steeler great Heinz Ward. I think we have a picture of him here. You might, you might know him from uh, Dancing with the Stars. I don't know. <laughs> it was really cool. I was on a team. I got to hang out with him for eight months and train with him. And it was just, it was, it was really cool. Uh, and the kicker of this whole deal is I got chocolate, free chocolate milk for an entire year. How awesome is that? <laughs> At one point, someone said, and someone really said it. They said, wow, the stars have aligned for you. Like, you're getting everything you want. And, you know, I was like, yeah, nah, nah. God, God is in there. God is, God is doing this. And, you know, I was given a coach a couple, eight months to, to work up to get into the Ironman shape. And it was hard. There were good days. There were, there were bad days, too. But when, when I was having those bad days, people reminded me, hey, man, you didn't sign up for this because it was supposed to be easy. Keep working through it. And, and I was fortunate to keep working through it. And my, my daughter, I'm going to tell another story about her just to embarrass her a little bit. I'm just kidding. She's awesome, isn't she? Uh, but she taught me another important lesson. This is that, you know, kind of, uh, it's about excuses. And when I was injured, the hospital, they gave me a handicap placard for parking. And I, I was just in, injured. A few days earlier, I was, just, you know, a strong, healthy, aggressive Marine leader. So they gave me this placard. And I was like, I don't need that. And I threw it away. And a couple months later, for some reason, I don't know why, maybe my wife had something to do with it, I got another one in the mail. And I was like, huh, I'll just hang on to this. <laughs> I was driving a truck, living in San Diego. There's always not a lot of parking, so I'm like, I'll just put this in my glove box, you know, for a rainy day. And I used it every once in a while when I couldn't find parking. And one day, I was out shopping with Lupe. And it was right around the Christmas season because there was no parking anywhere. We're driving around the shopping mall. It's like, man, this is miserable. There's no parking. People aren't in, like, Christmas cheerful mood. People are angry. So I zip to the front of the store. I pull it into the handicapped spot. And I grab that placard, and I hang it up. And I'm like, Lupe, let's go. And we start walking in. And we're not five feet from the truck. And, and she's like, Dad, what, what was that magic blue ticket? <laughs> And I thought that was funny. I was like, yeah, okay, well, because Daddy only has one leg, remember, I can park in that, that spot right there, that handicapped spot. And without missing a beat, she says, but Dad, you have five legs. You have your running leg, your biking leg, your water leg, your walking leg, and your left leg. <laughs> and it was, you know, it was funny. I was impressed that she can count all that, that quick. And we start walking into the store, and as we're walking through the store, that's when I realized, like, man, I'm not setting a very good example. I'm using this leg as an excuse when it's, when it's convenient for me. I ran six miles that day, and then I parked in there. I have nothing against handicapped parking, but someone who's training for an Ironman probably doesn't need to be parking in the handicapped spot. Someone else can be using that. So I was thinking about it. I'm not setting a good example with the parking thing, and like, wow, I'm using that more than just for parking. Like, going on a run with some buddies, I was doing some training. If they, they get ahead of me and I can't keep up, I'm like, oh, that's because I have a prosthetic leg. I was using this leg as an excuse. And walking to the store, I was like, you know what? I'm never going to use this 
leg as an excuse again. Not for anything. And for running and training, like, it's been great. You know, it was the most freeing thing I could have done. Because when I race, I can race in the physically challenged category against other people with disabilities, but I don't. I race in my age group against able-bodied athletes, and once I started doing that, you know, I started down here, but then I started beating some of them, and I started getting better. And now I go out and race, and I do pretty well. And if someone beats me, it's not because of this prosthetic leg. It's because they worked harder than me. And when I took on that mindset, that's when I started getting better. Because excuses, we all have them. We all have excuses, whether it's a leg or time or money. Like, we all have excuses, and they just feel so good, and they're like a little teddy bear, so cuddly. But what they're doing is they're doing harm because they're keeping you from, from reaching your, your potential. And I ask myself, like, okay, where, where else am I using excuses in my life? Because relationships, relationships are hard. Like a marriage, I found out that you can't just expect a marriage to be good, a relationship to be good. You have to work at it. So for me, like, I'm in a relationship with Jesus. You know, I have to work at it. And there are days it's like, oh, I didn't have time to read the Bible today or I was doing something else or something. And, I'm, and I ask myself, what am I using excuses for? And it, it is, if that's a priority, like, I, I need to stop using excuses. So in, in your life, think about what you're using excuses for. What is it stopping you from doing and what relationships it's, it's holding, you back, holding you back from. So back to this Iron Man uh, take. I'm in Kona, Hawaii, seven miles left, sitting on the side of the road. I'm in a bad place, right? I'm in pain. Uh, I can't get my leg on. I am out of energy, and I'm kind of sitting there. And I was fortunate. I was kind of blessed, again. One, with this, this passion for, for uh, sports, um, this passion for competition, this passion for struggle. And two, just with this, this journey that I've been on, this group of people that had come around me, I was like, okay, you know, this is, I, I, can, I can look at the blessings that I have. And I was able to take a step back and look at it. It's like, okay, I'm in a bad place right now, but I'm at the Ironman World Championships. This is cool. I got to hang out with Heinz Ward for the past eight months. I'm actually beating him right now in the race. <laughs> I, I'm going to finish this race. I'm going to finish this race. And I was like, let's do it. I had to go into problem-solving mode. And I did. And I was like, okay, how do I get from here to the finish line? Like, can I hop seven miles? No, I got to get this leg on. So I remember when, when it swelled up earlier, I just elevated it. So it's like, that's what I got to do. I got to elevate Jeff. <laughs> so I kind of lean back and I live up my nub and, I'm, and, I'm, and I even squeeze it a little bit because I need that fluid to come out. <laughs> People are running by me and they're like, what the, are you okay, man? <laughs> Do you need anything? I'm like, ah, I'm fine, dude. Well, you've never seen this before? <laughs> uh, so I, I do that for a couple minutes, and it's like, all right, it's go time. It's go time. And I grab that leg, and I jam it on there. It doesn't go on the way on, but it's enough that I could stand up. So I could do one thing at a time at this point. I ate that peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I got that leg on. I stood up. Now it's like, start walking. And I start walking. And with every step, my limb went a little bit further into that prosthetic leg. And at about a quarter of a mile, two things happened. One, the leg was on. It hurt a little bit, but it was on. And two, that peanut butter and jelly uncrustable sandwich that I was munching on, that started to kick in. So now I have energy. I have a leg on. I have a, uh, a sleeve, actually. It's like a silicon thing that, that it goes from my prosthetic that I pull up onto my thigh so my leg doesn't fall off. Because when you're running and your leg falls off, that's a bad day. So I pulled that thing on, and I started jogging. I started jogging, and I couldn't think of the end still. Because it was too far. So what I did in my head is I broke it down. It's like, I have to get to the next aid station. Every mile in the marathon, there's an aid station where they give you some water, some Gatorade, some orange slices and whatnot. It's like, got to get to the next one. Got to get to the next one. And I went to each, each, each aid station. And to me, guys, the aid stations, it was like, it's like going to church. When I was young, church was the big event of the week. 
Now, church is the aid station. I go out, I try to obey, I do my, my best to uh, glorify God, to love, to show mercy, to show grace. And then, su- then the uh, Sunday morning comes and I get to come to this aid station and worship and be around my brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and it's just awesome. I get rejuvenated and I go back out to the next one. All right, so then I'm finally on the last mile back to the race here, and, and I, people are lined in the streets, and it's like, oh my goodness, this is awesome. And I just sped up, and I started sprinting. Probably shouldn't have done it, but, but I came busting across the finish line, almost in a full sprint, finished the race, 11 hours, 54 minutes. Uh, it was awesome. And thinking back, it was 22 months from injury to crossing that finish line, and it was, oh, thank you so much. And it was just those 22 months, like, I'll tell you what, I grew. I, I grew, I matured, I, I grew closer to God in, in this. And not only that, uh, he, he used, he used that, that incident uh, to help me and to help, help glorify him. Because after I, I finished that, people started asking me to come share my story on a stage here, to a classroom here, over this here. And I was like, wow, God's given me a stage and he's used my, the talent and ability that he gave me in sports and competition. He's used that to help me use that to glorify him. And it's one of the coolest things to think about, one of the coolest things in the world. And I, I realized, if I, if I think back, you know, if I had to go through that whole thing again, would I? Yes, I would. I wouldn't want to go through the pain again. But I'll tell you what, that journey after that, that was something special. I, I recognized what my priorities were. And when I was laying on the ground after I stepped on that IED, there were two thoughts that went through my head. When I thought I was dying, the first thing I thought, I guess I get to go to heaven. And the second one, I thought about my, my family, my, my wife and my daughter. And if that's the two things that I think of when I think I might be dying, those must be the two most important things in my life. Those must be my priorities. I didn't think about my mortgage payment. <laughs> I didn't think about my car payment. I didn't think about what shoes I was wearing. I thought about my faith and my family and those are my priorities, I was able to uh, ask myself, am I living according to my priorities? And I have a wife that, that helps me keep accountable because I just try my best to, to, to live that life. And if I get off track, she nudges me. She hits me. I call it a nudge. <laughs> it hurts. But, but that's it. And there's one, one verse that I want to leave you with. It's uh, Isaiah 40:31. For those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And I like that verse. I like that verse a lot, Made, mainly for that first part. For those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Because I think about me and my journey, and it just seems so small, because when I think about Jesus and what he did, it's so big, it's so large. He's, he's touched so many. He sacrificed his life for, for the sins of everyone. So he died as a sacrifice for my sin, so I can go to eternity. So I could go to heaven for eternity and, and to live, to live there. That, to me, is awesome. And that is my hope. When I wake up in the morning, is that hope, that hope in the Lord that motivates me to use the, the talents and gifts and abilities that he has given me to, to glorify him and to try to, to do work that is for etern- eternal work, for the kingdom. So if we could right now, I just want to, before we move on, I want to close us in, in prayer. So if you'd bow your heads with me. And uh, if, if you 
are feeling a nudge or if, if you want to, I guess, experience what, what I've been fortunate to experience, if you'd like to accept Jesus into your life right now, just pray, pray with me. Pray this easy, simple prayer and um, when we look forward to it. But dear heaven, Heavenly Father, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for today and uh, I accept. I accept that, that I am a sinner and that I am not perfect and that I have, I have messed up and I will continue to mess up and I can't do this on my own and I believe uh, that you sent your son Jesus down from heaven to live a perfect life on earth and then to set, be the sacrifice, to die on the cross as a sacrifice for, for my sins. And I choose to accept Jesus into my life and I choose to follow Jesus. We do this in your name. Amen. Let's thank Eric McIlvaney. We thank you and we thank you for your service to our country. We thank you for sharing your story today. Thank you, Eric. What a blessing. If, if today you prayed with Eric at the end of the service, you said, man, I'm, I'm ready to start that relationship with Jesus, I want to encourage you, take one of those blue connect cards, put your name on there, and on the back it says, it says uh, I'm trusting Jesus for the first time. Just check that off. You can put it in uh, one of the boxes on the back wall. It says offering box. You can just slide it in there. You can hand it to the people at the Next Step booth. We want to help you know God like Eric knows God. And Eric's life's been transformed. He collided in, in the most unusual circumstances. But God got a hold of his life. And, uh, and he's, he's growing in Jesus. And he's raising a family that honors God and loves God. And uh, that's what Crossroads is all about. Our, li- our church is about lives that have collided with Jesus. We're just normal, everyday people that God does something extraordinary in our lives. And so today, as we close our service, we're going we're gonna to sing the song, Christ is Enough. As we prepare for a baptism, I'm going to give you one more, one more testimony today. Teresa Williams, who many of you know, she, she leads our MOPS program. We're so thankful. Uh, how many are involved in MOPS? Raise your hand if you're involved in MOPS. Look at that, man. A lot of MOPS people here. That's mothers of preschoolers. That's not our cleaning ministry, right? That's mothers of preschoolers. And she, she directs the mothers of preschoolers. And, and, uh, and God's just doing great things. And so many of you have been involved through the years there. So we're, we're going to hear her story after we sing this song, and then I'm going to baptize her, and, uh, and then we'll be dismissed. So just, just stay in your seat as you sing and worship the Lord today. And if you've made that decision today, write that down, and, uh, and let us encourage you, all right? So let's sing unto the Lord. Christ is my reward.